listening to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Grab your Bible, go with me to two places. Go to Acts chapter 8, and then go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Acts chapter number 8, and then 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Uh, I'm going to read a story to you, and then we're going to read a passage that's highly familiar, but hopefully it will have a fresh meaning to you this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm honored to get to be here. I'm honored to get to kick off uh, Pastor Cole's new series that he's, uh, he's starting called Kingdom Culture. I think it's going to be formative, and it's going to shape the church in a deep way. And I want to, this is me throwing some gas on the fire. <clears throat> Acts chapter number 8, verse number 14 records these words. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, if you don't know what's happening at this part of the text in the middle of Acts chapter number 8, the gospel has left Jerusalem. Now it's being spread all over the world. Philip is in Samaria, and they're having a massive revival in Samaria itself. There are people getting saved. There are magicians getting delivered. God's moving. People are being healed. It's exploding in Samaria. Now they send Peter and John down to Samaria. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, when Simon saw, everybody say Simon. This is a man in your Bible that is known as Simon Magus. He was a magician in the city that got saved. When Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me also this power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He offered them money and said, give me this power. Give me this power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. That's quite the escalation, Peter. May your silver perish. This man just got saved. He's undiscipled. He is unlearned. They don't have a Bible for him to read. They have no small groups or curriculum classes. He makes a mistake and says, I see you laying hands on people and they're receiving the Holy Ghost. Give, I will give you money if you will give me that same power. Peter fires back, may your silver perish with you. Discipleship was very different in the early church. Because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. He wasn't even promising him forgiveness. He said, pray and hope. Is this freaking anybody out yet? It should. It should cause all sorts of questions to go off in your brain. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the chains of wickedness. All the man said 
was I will give you money if you will give me the ability, give me the power to lay hands on people and then be, then be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, you are gripped in the chains of wickedness. Let's read one more text real quick, then we'll get to it. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Y'all, everybody knows this. You all read it on Valentine's Day. The one time a year you read it, feel convicted, right? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of mortals, you got to love that translation. Oh, foolish mortals. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that's to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not arrogant, not rude, does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful, whatever, Paul. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears up under all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child, but when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now about faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. When I was growing up in my teenage years serving God, this was me in my 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 year old phase, that I grew up in really two worlds. I grew up in what I call the holiness world, and I grew up in the revival world. I grew up in those two worlds, the worlds of holiness and revival. Or to put it another way, I grew up in the world where we were called to pursue purity and we were called to pursue power. Not only did we pursue purity and power, we believed that purity was the gateway to power. That you could not be powerful unless you were pure. All right? I grew up in the era of TV preachers, or you would see these great men of God doing exploits on television, laying hands, casting out devils, healing people, flying private jets. Give me all of it in Jesus' name. Right? That's what I thought as a young man. And I was always taught that the way you get to that level of power is you have to walk in a significant level of purity. We believed that our purity was for God and then God would reward our purity with giving us his power. You with me? We live pure for God and then God rewards us. Therefore, if there's something on my life that's not on your life, that's because God is rewarding me to a greater degree than he's rewarding you because I'm living a life of greater purity than you're living a life of. Therefore, I can live a more powerful life than you get to live. 
This is, this is the logic that we used. And in reality, we ended up pursuing purity for all of the wrong reasons and pursuing power for all of the wrong reasons. Okay? I remember as a young man reading the story of 1 Corinthians and something being deeply unsettling to me. When you read this story, when, when, you, read this, when you read this book, when you read this letter to the church at Corinth, the first letter, Paul eviscerates them for their sin and their compromise. We've talked about this before. You are divided. You're saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. You're divided. Was Paul crucified for you? This is what the letter says. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase, so knock all that stuff off. That's what he's saying. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Then some of you are real serious saying, well, I'm of Jesus. Then he continues, you're eating food sacrificed to idols. You're committing idolatry. He continues, there's also sexual immorality in the church so severe, this is what your Bible says, that it is not even named among the unbelievers. You outpaced the unbelievers in sexual sin. Wow is right. This is Paul's church that he planted. It's not all it's cracked up to be. And then he has to deal with them because some of them are even denying the resurrection of Jesus. So he spends the biggest chapter in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, telling them the resurrection has to be true or we have no hope. Sin everywhere. And this is what he says in one portion of the text. He says, there is sexual immorality among you, so much so that's not been named among the unbelievers, and you are glorying in it. Do you know what they were glorying in? They were glorying in the fact that they had become so tolerant to perversion. Now, that's, that's, that, that is what it is, right? That's, 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 there's some issues and as a young man, I understood that. I've been in church long enough to know that people got problems. Okay? That part did not bother me. That's how jaded I was at 17. Yeah, sin everywhere. Of course, it's church. That was not what messed with me. What messed with me was what Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 when he said this, and in the middle of all of this, this church is operating in the gifts of the Spirit more than any other church that I'm writing to. And I tried to wrap my mind around that and say, no, 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 no. I was taught you can't have that kind of power in the presence of that kind of purity, impurity. And I'm here to tell you, you absolutely can have power and impurity living in the same person and living in the same church. We exalt people of power thinking they are people of purity and that is not the case. And so my little 17, 18 year old mind was discombobulated because I was taught my whole life that you could not separate the two. I was taught you could not have 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 if you had 1 Corinthians 5. I was taught that was impossible. 
Because my purity, I gave it to God, and then God rewarded the purity I gave him by giving me back his power. Do you see the problem here? And the challenge with that is, is we grow up in church judging people based upon how powerful they seem to be. And we think that's a good demarcation point for make for judging whether or not you are a good person or you are a bad person. You prophesy, you said something to me one time that you said God showed you, it halfway made sense, so you must be pure because evidently you're powerful. But you can be prophetic and perverse at the same time. You can speak for God and be nothing like him. God's power is not for us. God's power is for us to bless others. And God will not withhold his good from others simply because of us. God does not bless others because of you. God blesses others notwithstanding you. Are you here? It's awfully quiet in here. Are you with me? Purity and power. This is what gets me about this story with Simon because Simon believes that this, Simon's pursuit, Simon's pursuit is for God to do something in and for him, not in and for others. Did you know, somebody sent me this the other day, you can buy a course online for $99, and the title of the course is this, How to Raise the Dead in Six Simple Lessons. Study at your own pace. Money back guarantee. When we focus on power, when we focus on miracles, Jesus said it is an evil generation that seeks after a sign. And it's an even more evil generation that seeks to work those signs. And I grew up in a world where we marveled at the signs and we marveled at the wonders and we cried out to God, let us operate in healing. Let us operate in the gifts. Let us do the stuff so maybe we can feel validated like everybody else because they're getting to do the stuff. Let us do the stuff. That is completely a perverted reason for wanting God's power to manifest itself in our life. We want to be a powerful church, not so we can point our finger at the other churches and say, you don't have what we have. We want to be a powerful church because there is a broken city that needs God's power to bless them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's why Jesus would always say things like when he would heal somebody, he would say, don't you tell a soul. Somebody gets healed in our meetings today. We got Instagram video. We got Facebook Live. We're selling online courses. We wrote a book. We're making them share their testimony. We're doing everything we can to get the word out. Because it's not about them. It's about us feeling powerful. Because we think we've lived such a pure life that we deserve to feel powerful now. That is not 
God's way. That is not the kingdom of God's ways of doing things. I want you to think about that. If you laid hands on somebody in secret and they got healed of cancer, if they got up out of a wheelchair, you'd bite your tongue off trying to tell somebody. And this is what Jesus taught. Jesus says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand does. But Jesus, they will think I'm powerful. And if you're single, that's a tool. If she thinks she's going to marry a man of God, maybe I can get married. Don't play with me. I was single once. If Jesus raising people from the dead saying, now don't you tell people who did this for you. And sometimes in the Bible, they didn't even know who Jesus was. The man gets healed who was born blind. They said, who did this? He said, I don't know. Some guy. That's how Jesus wanted it because the power was not for him to feel powerful. The powerful was to break off of the blind man the blindness that was binding him. And we want that power so we pursue purity in all of the wrong, for all the wrong reasons. And we define holiness in all of the wrong ways because we think holiness is, do you watch Halloween movies? I don't even put up pumpkins at my house because that's how holy I am. I know I'm making you mad. I'm here once a month. This is why. That's holiness. Right? <laughs> I grew up going to people church that would rebuke everything to your face. Be like, hey, y'all going trick or treat? I rebuke it. I was just going to take some kids to get some candy. We're not carving pentagrams in our chest and worshiping Satan. I just wanted some M&Ms. <laughs> I rebuke it. Right? My son loves Charlie Brown Halloween. I rebuke it. You're letting spirits in your house. A demon's going to get a hold of him. Right. I've seen parents do this. I've seen, I've seen parents. They come. They, they, I've seen, I actually saw this one. <laughs> Parent came into church. She was talking about a little, her little daughter who was in middle school. Her little daughter was struggling with math. This was a couple of days after Halloween. Little daughter, yeah, you know where I'm going. I know why she's struggling. That demon there got in that mind of hers because you opened her up when you dressed her like Raggedy Ann and let her walk down the street with a bag asking people for candy. If you want me to come over, I'll throw the oil. I'll throw down. We'll get after it. I'll sacrifice an animal and shed some blood and do all the stuff in Jesus' name if you need me to. Maybe she is like the rest of us and she just hates math. Maybe she's a normal middle schooler, right? That's our definition of purity. How much stuff can I say no to? And the more stuff I say no to, the more holy I am. And if you say yes to some stuff that I say no to, well, I'm way more holy than you. 
even though you said yes to a good attitude and I said yes to a gossiping attitude, but we still don't want, I still don't want. Right? We're always measuring ourselves against somebody else. Well, they, they like that. They, I, heard they, I heard they watch Harry Potter. Some of y'all offended right now that I said that. Somebody just clicked off the live stream because I said Harry Potter. They watch all their Disney movie princesses with magic everywhere, but Harry Why am I poking fun of this? Because that's what we call holiness. We think we're like God because we think God doesn't watch Harry Potter. Right? That is not what holiness means at all. Holiness means we develop God's heart for the world. That's how we are like God. I saw, I had a friend send me something the other day from a, a very popular speaker. I, I won't name his name and I won't say what he said, but I'll, I'll let you. This is going to cause so many problems. I really try not to do this. All right. This pastor made this statement from his pulpit. He said something to the effect of last month, 30,000 kids across the world, died of starvation. This is what a pastor, pastor said. He said, number two, the church did not give and then said a certain word that I will not say about it. And he said, number three, this church is more upset that I said that word than there are 30,000 kids dying of starvation. Because we think not doing things is holiness rather than having God's heart for a broken world is holiness. Now, you don't need to go around cussing. That's not the point. Amen from the past. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the things that we choose to care about are not the things that God chooses to care about. Right? I grew up, we were always told this, don't drink, cuss, smoke, chew, or run with those who do. That was your recipe for holiness. You could be consumed by a spirit of lust all you wanted. You could be as mean as a snake. You could not give two flips about the poor person on the side of the road, but as long as you didn't drink, cuss, smoke, chew, or run with those that do, you were holy, and because you were holy, you now qualified for being powerful. And we completely miss the fact that Jesus' power did not flow through all of the things he said no to. It flowed through his compassion for the brokenness of the world. This is what the kingdom means. That's why serve days are so vital. Because the more we can get our eyes away from us and to a broken city that is around us, the healthier that we are. Right? I remember when I was in sixth grade, we took a trip to Washington, D.C. That was what you did when you lived in Alabama. It was like a 19-day bus trip just to get there. And this was the one piece of advice they gave us. You're going to see homeless people. Don't give them any money. 
I was in sixth grade. It wasn't like I was rolling deep anyway. But they told us, don't give them money. They never gave us any explanation why. They just told us, do not do it. So we said, okay. As I got older, I thought about the logic of that. Because you go downtown in Knoxville, there's homeless people everywhere. You go down, you go to the old city at night, there's homeless people everywhere. And they have no problem asking you for money. They roll up on you, you didn't even see them coming. And we would go down there and eat often. And I taught my girls, no, when they ask for it, you give it. And it's not, well, they're going to use it for drugs. I'm not doing it necessarily for them. I'm doing it for my own soul. I need to get my eyes off of me. They might take this walk around the corner and buy drugs with it, but I've got to get my eyes off of me. I've got to be gripped by their brokenness. That's why John said, if you see your brother have need and you shut up your bowels of compassion, how does the love of God dwell in you? He said, this is what, this is what John said. I see this happening in the church all the time. This is what John said, that you see your brother have need and all you do is say, be warm, be filled. Meaning all we have to offer them is prayer. I'm going to pray for you. You and I both know that's nothing better than saying, bless your heart. That's a cliche. You ain't praying for them. If somebody tells you I'm praying for you, they're lying. You do it too. I'm going to pray for you. If God happens to bring it to my remembrance. Power is about compassion for others. Power is about God blessing others. That's why God will let his power flow through impure people because he's not going to withhold their good because of our dysfunction. Power, we we were taught growing up, purity is for God. He responds by giving his power to us. Purity is not for God. Purity is for us. God does not need your purity. Your impurity doesn't offend God. He's not in heaven going, you know that meme? I I should have prepared that. Purity is for us because impurity, sin is destructive. It dehumanizes. It wounds us and breaks us in a thousand different ways. And God's power is not for us. It is for others. In the early days, when I was growing up and we would talk about revival, this is what we would always say. We always called ourselves carriers of revival. Meaning, I've got what the world needs. And so I'm going to bring it because I got it like that. The people most in need of revival are the people most convinced that they have it to bring to others. Right? The people most in need of revival are those that especially think they're specifically qualified to bring it to others. When I was growing up and we would talk about revival, we'd say things like this. 
God's just about done with what's going on. I mean, he's not done yet. We can keep going for a little longer. He's just about done with this nonsense going on in the nation. He's just about done, and he's about to come down and fix the whole bit. Woo! Yeah, do it, Jesus. Right? The person we voted for didn't get in. Come fix it. This is what we really mean. We want God to use revival to ensure a specific way of life for us. We want God to protect a specific way of life for us. And we call that revival. And anything that does not line up with that way of life can't be God. When the early church lived in the grip of the Roman Empire, and you never hear them saying, God's just about done. Because we think the power is for us. We think the power is to give us what we want, what we need, what we desire, what makes us feel comfortable, what makes us feel safe, what makes us feel okay. And that is not what the power is for. There are real people with real problems beyond your tax, your property tax might have went up a little bit and you're ticked off about it. God's just about done. Right? These are things that we say. So we pray and we wail and we travail for revival. Not because we're concerned about our broken world but because we're concerned that there is a threat to our way of life and we can't have that. We cannot have discomfort. So much so that we thought wearing a mask to Walmart was persecution. And you quoting scriptures out of Revelation because you're having to work from Zoom and order takeout. God's just about done. That's how, that's how much, that's how protective we are over our way of life. And if something comes against that, well, God's about to fix the whole thing. Listen, I'm, I welcome God to fix the COVID problem. Bring it on, Jesus. Right? But we take power and we think we can get it through other means. If I say no to this, if I say no to that, if I say no to that, if I say no to that, then you'll give me this power. Simon Magus is alive and well in a great part of the Pentecostal church because if I say no, if I say no, if I say no, and if I look holy and I appear holy, then maybe this power can come upon me. But maybe if we get gripped with compassion over a hurting, broken generation, then God will use his power through us however he sees fit. It's not your power anyway. It's his 
You hear what I'm saying? That's why Paul said the power of God flows through the weakness of men. We don't need power. I know that's contrary to popular opinion. What we need is compassion. What we need is a heart that is moved at the brokenness of other people. That's what we need. We need a heart that is that breaks over every COVID death, regardless of the situation. We need a heart that is broken over every act of injustice, regardless of the situation. We need a heart that is broken over every act of oppression, regardless of the situation. We need a heart that is broken over every sin that is inflicted upon another, regardless of the situation. And then... We will see power because that is actual purity. That is actual holiness. Holiness is God is moving me toward the world, not isolating me from it. You hearing what I'm saying? I know some Christians, they can't even have conversations with people outside the church. They can't even converse with a sinner. We have no common ground. Even though we're two humans and live in the same part of town, I live in such another stratosphere. And I call that separation holiness. And then you read stories of Jesus and the people most comfortable around Jesus were sinners. And the people most uncomfortable around Jesus were church people. Your purity is for you, but the power is for them. So we need to get our eyes off of power. And we need to get our eyes on Jesus. Make us more like you. Let us love the way you love. Let us pray the way you prayed. Let us weep the way you weep. The power, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Let our lives reflect the. Let our lives reflect. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I know this doesn't preach good. And if I got up here and told 152 stories of this person got healed when I prayed for them, and that person got healed when I prayed for them, and this happened when I prayed. Power will. Do, God's power will do its thing. I'm called to be more like. That's what he means when he says, you could have all faith and all power. And if you do not have love, you are sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Paul was so committed to this idea in the Corinthian church. He said, if you're speaking in tongues, doesn't help others, then stop. He said, I would rather say five words in my language that would edify others than 10,000 in another language that did nothing for them. These gifts are not for me to show off. These gifts are for me to bless others. You know what I'm saying? Stand up on your feet.
I hope that was some sort of kickoff to what Pastor Cole is going to be teaching. Because that's what life in the kingdom looks like. There was, a, there was something that happened a couple of years ago. I won't call any of this out, but some of you might know of it. Some of you might not. There was a massive, massive uh, revival a couple years ago in particular state. And they were filling stadiums. They're filling stadiums. And the reports were so many people are getting healed and this is happening and that's happening and this is happening and that's happening. And it was a big deal. I mean, I knew people that even went to visit the heat of that, this moment. That's, that's, that's always been peculiar to me when something like that happens, everybody like moths to a flame. They just... In a very short period of time, it was found out that the main leader of this event, of this revival, was living in an adulterous relationship. He was, he had been disciplined before in his ministry for unfaithfulness, and he was being disciplined a second time. And after it was over, people were saying, well, there's no way that's the power of God. I can't believe, yeah, it was. Those people didn't get healed. Yeah, they did. God's not blessing them because of him. God's blessing them in spite of him. God's blessing others in spite of us because he wants to do good to them. But you can't look at the power and say you must be pure. You look at the power and you say, man, God really loves us. So much so that he will get through us and to us any way he needs to. That's why we can't judge people based upon how powerful they are. We have to judge people based upon how fruitful they are. And being powerful and fruitful are not the same thing. I hope you can lay hands on somebody and they can get healed. That was not you that did it. What I do want to see is I want to see, do you weep in the prayer closet for those people that whose bodies are broken? Do you weep for that? You want to see this person get delivered and that person get delivered, but do you have? Are you gripped by compassion for them, or does they, or do they just offend you and you just can't? And God's got to fix it because, uh. This is what the kingdom looks like. That's why Peter rebuked Simon and said, "Don't you ever think you can give out a couple of dollars? Bring that down just a touch." give a couple of dollars and get power I grew up in a Pente I grew up in a Pentecostal world so toxic brother Al has seen this before where if you gave a certain dollar amount you could sit closer to the preacher and if you gave a real big dollar amount he'd lay hands on you and give you his anointing but you had to write a big check first 
that is wicked. That is perverse. Power flows through compassion. We need to get our eyes off power. We need to get our eyes on being like him in every way. Because being like him is the most powerful thing we can do. Lift your hands. Father, we love you today. We thank you and we bless you and we honor you. We ask you to make us like you. Make us like you. With a heart that wants to serve the world. With a heart that wants to serve the world. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.